Hello and welcome to The Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host and I am very, very excited to be joined by the associate editor of Trail Runner Magazine. She is my teammate on the Swap Adventure team and has podium finishes at several top ultras across the western part of the U.S., including Collegiate Peaks, Behind the Rock, Silver Rush, and Crested Butte. Please welcome the host of the DNF podcast, Zoe Rum. Zoe, welcome to the Pain Hi, Cave. Hi, so excited to be here in the Pain Cave. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you. Did I did I get it right? Is it Rom or Rome? Rome, like Rome. The city. Sorry, Zoe, Rome. Good. All good. Excellent. Zoe, I'm psyched to have you on. This is great. Uh, we just, you know, unfortunately, it's a little too early in the day for either of us to be drinking alcohol, at least uh, <laughs> openly. So I'm 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 psyched to be down here with my diet coke and you know, hopefully escape from the as we said the doom scrolling for a little while. Um, I'm really psyched to have you on, and, and the first thing, we want to get to a lot of different stuff, but the first thing I want to talk to you about was uh, your position at Trail Runner, and specifically uh, recently starting the DNF podcast, which started earlier this year. You've had a lot of great guests on. It's really gotten a real foothold in what is kind of a crowded field of you know ultra-running-related podcasts and, and running-related podcasts in general, but you've had some great guests, and I think you're your guests are kind of approaching the sport in some respects from from a different mindset and a different background than a lot of people that we normally hear about. Tell us a little bit about how you got started at Trail Runner and specifically how you got started with the podcast and uh, and how that's been going. Yeah, so I started at Trail Runner because I had been working in public radio before, but was kind of looking for a unique opportunity to expand into a more like creative position rather than just like hard journalism because just the schedule was super grueling and tough for me. Um, and so, you know, my coach, David Roche, our coach from mm-hmm. Swap Adventure team uh, is a columnist and a guest editor, or, yeah, regular guest editor at Trail Runner. And he mentioned that Trail Runner was hiring. And I was like, well, you know, I'll throw my name in the hat. Like I was living in Aspen at the time and I had wanted to move to Carbondale anyway. And so it all kind of worked out where mm-hmm. like I was looking for um, kind of just like a more creative direction to expand in at the same time that they were looking for a new editor. And so um, one of the conditions that I made to get hired was that I would be able to start my own podcast. <laughs> that was the like hard stop. I will only do this job if I get to um, do that. Nice. And they agreed, which is amazing because I, I didn't have a specific podcast idea at the time. I just said, I want to make a good trail running podcast. And they were like, all right, <laughs> let's do it. Um, and that was and that was it you know it took me and i got i got hired on in july and i didn't actually launch the dnf podcast till january of the next year so i spent months and months and months like concepting out this podcast really trying to put a lot of thought into like what's going on in the market what are other people doing well what maybe is missing and like where can i bring my unique approach voice and talents because you know, like you said, like this is a pretty crowded field, right? I don't think yeah. anyone thinks there needs to be one more trail running podcast in the world, right? <laughs> right. Um, except for I did, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Obviously. Except for all of so, us, yes, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like I think, you know, if you asked anyone, what does the world really need? They probably wouldn't be like, you know, <laughs> one more podcast. Um, but I was that person. I was like, well, I, you know, I realized like if I want to contribute in this way, it's really going to need to stand out. It's going to have to be really you know, unique in the market, but I also need it to be super meaningful to me. And I need it to be something that can be a really authentic expression of who I am as a runner and a writer and a podcaster. Um, And it, it needs to totally be like from my heart and from my experience and from my voice, 
And in kind of looking around to see like what maybe areas of the sport were undercovered, I was like, you know, I think there's opportunity here for a storytelling podcast about failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you said you you had been previously working in public radio. Were you on the broadcast side or had, had you had broadcasting experience before this? Yeah. So in graduate school, I actually worked for a podcast called The Threshold Podcast out okay. of Montana Public Radio, which is a long form environmental storytelling podcast. Mm -hmm. we, we pitched it like the serial of environmental podcasts. <laughs> the first season is about the bison, um, the American bison. The second season is about climate change in the uh, in the Arctic. Well, that sounds and the third awesome. Kind of mini season is about um, the Arctic uh, National Wildlife Refuge mm -hmm. and uh, conversations around that. And I was, I've always been really inspired by like how to just tell um, stories in an immersive audio rich way where like the other person's voice leads. Like I'm using my narrative structure and my narrative kind of inertia and drive to support someone else's storytelling. And I, I really kind of cut my teeth in that storytelling style at Threshold and wanted to expand that into the endurance sports space. Cause there aren't a lot of people doing like sound rich storytelling in this in this space um and so like i had my background there in graduate school and then at aspen public radio i was a morning edition host where my job was basically just to talk for three hours straight into a microphone from a oh know, wow so you had like a solo radio day. show wow yeah <laughs> yeah morning edition um oh my gosh and also hosting and so i started working on podcasts there that were more news centered and were basically like me repackaging local news to make it more accessible particularly to younger and younger people and mm -hmm. digital natives because i've always just been very passionate about like okay how do we take um broadcast news and then kind of spruce it up and put it out into the world in a way that just makes it more appealing to like i'm a millennial I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to the news. And I've always just been passionate about like expanding local news in that direction. So, you know, a lot of people that listen to NPR tend to be older. Um, and it was always my passion to bring um, a more engaged and younger audience, particularly living in Aspen. There's a lot of very, there is a very young engaged population there. And like, I wanted to repackage hard news in a way that was like fun and exciting for them to tune into like what's going on at their city council meeting, essentially. Right. Right. Okay. So, um, and but this was Trail Runner Mag's first podcast, right? They had no, they hadn't had any exposure to this before. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, it it was. I, I'm super appreciative that they let me just like totally take the reins on it because they never, um, never had one at all. Our sister publication, Rock and Ice, had briefly had one where people would retell um, climbing exhibition or expeditions that went horribly wrong, and that kind of petered out just because it was hard. Um, to make podcasts are incredibly time consuming, particularly if you're putting in a lot of pre and post production into them um, sure. as DNF does. And so um, for me, the trick is always to make something that's really, really good and also doesn't drive me totally crazy to make <laughs> and finding that balance <laughs> between like a high quality product and then one that's sustainable and that I can keep putting out there. Right, right. So as you kind of mentioned uh, in, in that description, the, the DNF podcast, as, as you've kind of conceptualized it, is focused on this idea of failure being kind of integral to uh, our development as not just ultra runners, but as, as human beings, but specifically within the ultra and, and trail running space. Talk a little bit about that. Tell What do you mean when you say failure and, and, and why does it play such an integral role? Yeah, so I think, you know, something that I finally hit on in the most recent episode of DNF that is a, a concept I had been dancing around for a little bit is 
the fact that failure itself is a paradox. Like when we start to talk about failure, like, um, you know, just to draw on DNF as an example, like Jim Walmsley um, separating from the Air Force is the thing that enabled him to become a professional runner. Mm -hmm. So therefore, is it even a failure if it's the very thing that specifically enabled his success? I would argue no. Right. Um, so I think that like failure itself is a very slippery term that culturally we don't always know how to discuss. And for me, I just see failure as like proto success. It's right. just and like the it, crappy it, part of success that hasn't like quite <laughs> like uh, ossified into the good thing yet. Right. It's and it's a framing issue as well, right? I mean, if if you were talking to a you know career Air Force brigadier general or whatever, and then he would say, "Sure, who gives a crap about ultra running? That dude flunked out of the Air Force or whatever." Not to pick on Jim, obviously, or anything like that, but you know, it, it depends on perspective and and everything else. If you know. If it's something that led you to what ultimately makes you happy, then right. I mean, then then I don't know if it's a failure so much, or at least right. Maybe the, the the connotations that the word failure carries maybe are 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 incorrect, in, in, or at least in in the way that we're describing it, right? I mean, that then then you view it as more of a setback than a failure per se, or at least or exactly. even or even in that point in in that case, an opportunity. A stepping stone, right? right. And it's so, like the more we look at failure, the more we like tease it apart and pick it apart narratively, the more it just becomes clear that like the things that are like really hard in the moment and do feel like I don't want to under I don't want to diminish the fact that like when you quit a job or get fired or separate from the Air Force or go through a divorce or like become sober, like those things feel very hard in the moment. But like later on, we can like find a framing where you see like, oh, this thing that was like really difficult was absolutely the catalyst for all these amazing things. It was right. instrumental in me getting to where I am. So like my overall goal with this podcast is for us to like just re-examine failure in a way that like the more I sit with it and look at it in other people's lives, the more I'm like, wow, this thing almost like doesn't exist. Like failure, um, I think only is failure if you fail, if you like fail to learn from it, right? Like if you just don't grow or learn, if you don't grow and move on from it. And the more I look at it in other people's lives, I'm like, wow, it's just, you know, every time something really hard happens to me or I face a setback or I face like a temporary failure, I should celebrate because that's, it could be the thing that sets me up for um, the thing that I really want and that I'm really passionate about and like will ultimately fulfill me down the road. Right, right. Now, you know, uh, some of the examples that um, that you've brought to light in your podcast and, and like you say, losing a job, quitting a job, struggling with addiction or something like that, you know, these can be stepping stones for some people, but, you know, not everybody who struggles with these types of things uh, can can turn them around or use them as a positive or as a driving force. And, and you know, that we, there are a lot of problems that people have in their lives that, you know, either are proximate to or caused by or related to some of these issues. Um, and and uh, I'm almost framing this pr question in a bad way because I don't want to say there's something inherently wrong with people who struggle with addiction and, and, and don't, you know, come through on the other side with this great, you know, story about how right. it actually changed their lives for the better. And I mean, that, that I'm not trying to put this as a character flaw in people like that. But when you when you um, look back at the people that you've interviewed to this point and, and um, ha have been able to reframe these quote unquote failures as, uh, you know, steps on their path to successful fulfillment. What are the common themes that you've seen either among them as people, as who they are, or how they react to things in their lives? Or is it a, a more of an issue of what their support system is around them? Like, what are the what are the common things that 
uh, allow people to overcome these kind of failures as opposed to, you know, uh, in, in other cases where it might not have turned out so well. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really important nuance that I just want to emphasize is that these are not like, especially considering this podcast deals with things like mental illness, eating disorders and addiction, which are like, you know, even though this is a podcast about failure, in no way am I insinuating that those are failures or flaws. They are, broadly speaking, hard things with opportunity to learn, but with no pressure. Like, I would never approach someone with like an eating disorder or like that had struggled with those things and say like, well, what a great opportunity to learn, right? Like, that's not, I don't want to, I don't (laughs) want to like over, you know, that's, there are things that are sometimes like just really hard. And that's totally part of being a human. In retrospect, we can reframe them. But I think when you're really in the hard thing, one of the least helpful things someone can ever tell to you is like, what a great opportunity for growth. Because you're like, well, I just got divorced or like I'm struggling with an eating disorder. Like I'm not there yet. And so I do want to hold space like you had mentioned. I think that you brought up. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Like some things are kind of just hard and it's okay to sit with that for moments. Um, But I do think the unifying thing that I see in all the people I've talked to is whenever I ask them, like, what would you do differently? everyone has said they wouldn't have done anything differently. Hmm. Um, everyone said, like, I'm really glad that things happened the way they did, even though in the moment it really, really sucked. Um, I think that that's been the amazing thing is that no one had regrets about the hard thing they went through. So, right. you know, if that offers any relief to someone going through a hard thing that maybe in the future you will look back and have gratitude, even if you're not there yet, right? Like, I never want to push someone towards that place of like, you need to immediately reframe this so that you feel good about what's happening. You're like, you need to immediately learn a lesson from what's going on. Like, I, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's a healthy mentality to have. I just kind of want to start to open up space for those things to happen later on and allow you to sit with the suck when you're there. Cause like, that's part of it too. Right. You know, I think that, you know, especially like with delicate issues, like eating disorders, addiction and mental health, like um, it's not failure, but it is something that when you learn to sit with it and like show yourself love and empathy for it, like their growth can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's all very complicated. <laughs> I, I think, you know, part of the, you know, and, and we've touched on this a little bit already, but, you know, failure is kind of a, a very weighted word, I think, and it carries a lot of connotations to it. And I think a lot of what we're kind of talking about is failure. Other people might just say are, are hardships or um, mm-hmm. setbacks or something like that. And because I think some people attach this this value judgment to failure, like you have failed, you know, it, it's a um, it, it's an active uh, descriptor, right? Uh, like there's some deficiency in, you know, the person that, that they failed rather than it's something that has happened to them or something that they've come up against. And that's not always the case in, in what we're talking about. I mean, they're, they're, right, like, like we're saying, it's nobody's fault if they are struggling with depression or anxiety or something like that. It's, it's, it's nobody's, it, it's not a, a failure of the, their character of themselves or of their mental strength. Um, but, you know, it, it's still a real uh, issue that, that, you know, can, can have negative effects. And, and, and therefore, I think, right, it, it's, a, it's just, it, it, it gets to a framing issue, I guess. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just... Um, yeah, I, I just think once, I, I like that we're just, you know, holding space for both sides of the equation, right? Um, exactly. That's, that's exactly that's, what that's I'm trying to say. That's what's important is like, you don't ever want to be that person that's like, immediately look for the silver lining because that's just not, I mean, we've all been through hard things where people have told us like, 
chin up and that's just the least helpful thing you can hear in the moment so like i think that approaching these situations with like empathy for what you're feeling in the moment and holding space for things to feel better later uh without applying pressure for that to happen right away is kind of the is the tact i try to take right right do you have any personal experience dealing with this sort of issue that we've been talking about that i mean you speak very passionately about this but you know you as you said you have a journalism background and and education you know it's you're not trained as a, a counselor or, or anything like that. Uh, you know, what what uh, what brings out what what is specific to you about this idea of, of failure and hardship and overcoming that that kind of touches such a nerve with you personally? Yeah, I think I mean, what resonates with me is that failure is something I have always been very afraid of. And it has in the past stopped me from pursuing opportunities and careers and relationships and athletically and I am always trying to push myself in a direction that is away from that and towards an understanding of failure as a stepping stone. So like, essentially this is like, you know, just like part of my own process of trying to pursue bravery and vulnerability in my career, in my relationships, in my training. Um, because like, to be honest, it is something I'm very afraid of. Um, and so I think the reason that this podcast works is because it is me consistently wrestling with like one of my biggest fears like it's not something i've solved like this isn't me like coming down from my ivory tower to be like <laughs> now that i've conquered fear uh here are my messages for you right like here are my stone tablets where i have written out how you too can overcome these things like every single episode is me sitting with and wrestling with my own fear and i think the episodes that like to me stand out as being some of the best ones are the ones that like make me uncomfortable or like strike a nerve with me where I'm like, wow, like I have also dealt with some of these same things and haven't processed them in the way that my guests have, or like, wow, like I have a lot of the, like this, you know, connects with my story in a way that I haven't solved yet, or that I haven't, you know, worked through in a productive way. And, you know, I think that that's like the tension that makes this story tick is that I haven't fixed it and that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> and so if my tone ever like gives off the impression that like, you know, I've got it figured out. Like I, you know, that's right. just one storytelling technique. But I think the reason that like, I, I mean, the reason that I am so passionate and motivated by this subject is because it just scares the, the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> that's great though. That's great. Um, what, what about running? I think, or, or what about running do you think is so attractive and meaningful to people who are struggling with this sort of thing? Because we see this over and over with people struggling with, you know, different setbacks, different addictions, different mental problems, um, personal problems who, who have turned to running and found solace there. What is it about the sport, do you think, that is so therapeutic or so attractive to that, um, I, that yeah, mindset? I, I think that more than like a lot of things, running is something that rewards consistent hard work and self-compassion yeah and that we are drawn to that because like in the same way that working through um relationship struggles in the same way that working through and learning to give ourselves self-compassion when we're struggling with mental health issues um a lot of the skills that you develop through running like showing up consistently forgiving yourself working hard even when it's uncomfortable a lot of those things are the exact same tool set that you need to um, you know, work through an eating disorder yeah. that you need to, um, you know, show up in therapy, right? Like a lot of these skill sets are, it's just the same thing, right? I think sometimes it gets misconstrued as like, oh, you know, got to go be a tough guy and just like white knuckle your way through. But right. the people who I feel are really succeeding at the top of the sport, 
are people who um, know how to take care of themselves and like know how to be brave and vulnerable and know how to fail. And like those skill sets are the same skill sets that translate to a um, humaning at a high level as well. Um, just consistency and forgiveness and kindness towards yourself and others and an ability to reframe setbacks as success. Right, right. I love that that idea of, of self-forgiveness or self-compassion, especially within the running space, because that's an easy thing to forget when, you know, because they're, like you said, it's, it's about consistency, it's about long-term. And what that implies is that there are going to be setbacks. Like this isn't always, and, and those of us who've been in the sport for a long time, no, it's not a straight path upward. It's not even <laughs> a, you know, it, it, it's not even a gradual path upward. I mean, hopefully it, it continues to climb over time. But um, there's plenty of setbacks and there's, you know, plenty of, of um, failures. And totally. I, I think being right, the, the idea of, of being able to forgive yourself and not to, to hold that within you when you have a bad race or even a bad workout because they come all the time. Um, yeah, you, have to, I mean, you have to be able to sit with that and let that go. Totally. I mean, running is amazing because it's like every day you have the opportunity to practice self-compassion. You have the ability to practice kindness. Right. You have the ability to practice positive self-talk. You get to practice reframing like, okay, this workout kind of sucked, but like, goodness gracious, I just banked a lot of mental toughness points. <laughs> like you get to decide that every single day in running, right? Like every day I lace up my shoes, I'm thinking like kind of in the back of my head, like, I'm going to practice self-belief and maybe go hard, or I'm going to practice self-compassion and pull back today. <laughs> um, it's going to be one of those things. And I think that, you know, I, having not had a lot of experience in other sports, I'm not sure how it plays out, but I, I just think that running is one of the best ways to uh, encounter all of those things um, that we, you know, just develop that tool set that we can use in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Let's talk a little bit more about running and your running specifically. You got your start running in the Ozarks in Arizona, in uh, Arkansas, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Are you Southern from? Are you from that area? Oh, so, what's that? Southern Gallat Heart, <laughs> for forever. So you you grew up you grew up in that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm originally from uh, the northwest corner of Arkansas. I grew up in rural Washington County, as okay. evidenced by the way I pronounce rural. Um, <laughs> never get that quite right. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I was not much of an athlete growing up, but in college I started getting curious about trail running because I really loved hiking. And at a certain point I was kind of like, well, I would love to be able to cover more terrain marginally faster. And um, I, I worked as a professional backpacking guide in New Mexico during the summers. And then when I would go back to school in Arkansas in the off season, I would I would run trail mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, just became curious, like, man, I kind of like this, you know, trail running thing and eventually signed up for like a trail 10K and then um, tricked myself into signing up for an ultra. And just like the longer races got and the more time I got to spend out on trail, the more I was like, man, I think this is like maybe what I was born to do. <laughs> Tell us about uh, covering sled dog racing in Alaska. <laughs> man, um, for a while when I was in graduate school, I, uh, I was studying environmental journalism. And like I had mentioned, I was working on a podcast um, about climate change in the Arctic. And I just became very interested in Arctic issues. And so my first year of graduate school, I went to do some reporting on sustainable fishing in Iceland. And I um, went to do some reporting on just different methods of energy production in Norway and just like fell in love with the Arctic, like being from the South, like even moving to Boulder, like I went to graduate school in Boulder. Yeah. And the first time I saw snow in like October, I lost my mind. Cause <laughs> like in Arkansas, if you see snow, like 
just the whole like just even a hard frost will just shut town down so like the fact that i would have to like do stuff and things with like an inch of snow on the ground totally <laughs> blew my mind and i still feel that way like every time it snows i'm like it's a snow day um like as a full-on adult who like now works from home so there's no such thing as snow days <laughs> right. but i just i was so obsessed with these different worlds that i just like never you know growing up in arc get to like walk across a glacier and like you know see like whales in a norwegian fjord and like run with sled dogs and so i just became obsessed with these cultures that i didn't have access to growing up and i got very interested in like high arctic indigenous issues and so i left graduate school for a while uh, a short dnf um <laughs> to go to move to fairbanks alaska and work for um KUNC up there. It's, no, it's not KUNC. I can't even remember what it is. KU something. Okay. One of uh, the Fairbanks public radio. Oh, I can't remember now, which is so sad. <laughs> um, the public radio station up in Fairbanks, and they hired me on specifically as their snow, uh, their sled dog reporter, um, because <laughs> they love sled dogs so much that like, so much. <laughs> um, that so it, uh, much. Nicely done. <laughs> inadvertent. Uh, you put that in like every headline up there, sled. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that's like that was my job that was the only thing i reported on was sled dog racing <laughs> so for a while my job was to follow um the yukon quest which is the second uh largest mm -hmm. sled dog race behind the iditarod right um and i would just follow them around and it was like i love sports and i love reporting and i love the arctic and i love dogs so it like felt like a total dream job seriously uh, even yeah. though a lot of it was very hard because i was like hitchhiking on bush plains across rural alaska oh, and God. like um, it's very hard. It's like, I was, you know, I was a grad student who was moonlighting as a professional, uh, radio journalist. So like I was not, uh, rolling in dough. And so like Ritz crackers in the areas, like where I was traveling in Alaska would be like $9 a box. So like what I, every night I would eat Ritz crackers with like some baby food on them. Cause I was like the only way I could get vegetables, <laughs> oh which like now God. makes me like cringe, but like, I was like, oh, it's like a little, it's like tapas for <laughs> the Alaskan bush. I'm going to squeeze peas onto a Ritz cracker. Um, but it was totally exciting. And I just fell in love with like Alaska. And I had been reading John McPhee's coming into the country. And I got to stay in Eagle, Alaska and just like places that like the only way in and out is either a bush plane or a sled dog team. And like, I learned how to drive a snow machine and ride on a like and work with sled dogs and I just like totally fell in love with the people and the culture up there, even though I struggled in the cold a bit and got like some nerve damage frostbite issues just because like my job was standing out in the cold while holding like recording equipment, which right. uh, it gets like I, I kept forgetting how cold it would get. And then I would like put a camera up to my face and I kept like burning my cheek because my camera would get so cold. Oh, my God. I would try to snap a photo and I would just forget and like burn myself. And it was like a totally crazy time. And I just was like, man like this is adventure journalism even yeah. though like a lot of it was very not sexy like at one point like i i was like i would like public buildings are just open in a lot of parts of alaska um so i would like sleep in public libraries or like random people would just like pick me up the airport and like invite me to stay with them and it was like a totally crazy adventure and i just loved it that's awesome <laughs> it that's so, so cool, awesome though. Probably not doing a lot of trail running up there, though, during that time. No, man, it was, I mean, the only opportunity, because it was just too cold outside to run. Like, yeah. it would be, like, 30, like, it was, there were days that it was the point where, like, Fahrenheit and Celsius would meet. So, like, 
it's like not really super safe to be outside for that long right. <laughs> with like skin exposed. Um, and for a while I lived at the La Quinta outside of Fairbanks and I would like run on the treadmill and this hotel was so weird because Alaska has this program where they pay for pregnant women to stay like since so many people live in rural areas where like if you go into labor you are nowhere near a hospital right so i just happened to be staying at the hotel that was nearest the airport where like they put all the pregnant ladies so like every night i would go down to the hotel bar and drink diet coke with like a bunch of rural alaskan pregnant ladies <laughs> and they would just tell me about their lives and i was like this is this is amazing that's wild that is <laughs> you so people wild. are incredible <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about running this year specifically, which has been a challenge for everybody, I think. You know, we've seen a, a huge rise in the FKT popularity just by necessity, given that races, you know, for the large part got canceled or, or postponed. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your big FKT of the summer, which was on the 14,000 foot Capitol Peak. Looking at some of the video and photos from that, more or less made me want to poop my pants um, <laughs> that looked like one of the more terrifying routes that I have ever seen outside of a Killian video. Um, <laughs> where where did the impetus to tackle that one come from? And, and you know, how did you approach that, I, I assume, with some degree of fear or trepidation? Yeah. Um, so I really love Capitol Peak. It's one of my favorite 14ers because when I lived in Boulder, I used to do a lot more um, alpine climbing and like trad climbing. So like I've always loved kind of like that intersection of like, is the scram like that routes where you're like, should we get the rope out yet? Right. Like, that's kind of where my excitement lies. Kind of like the um, Anton specialty, like, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> should we simul climb this or should we just like run her out? Um, it's kind of like where I get intellectually excited about a route. Um, and I love Capitol Peak because I mean, it's definitely not like actually when I was doing the route, there were some people that were like straight up placing trad gear and like roped up. And I like literally ran past them and I was like, it's a spectrum, uh, <laughs> you know, like we all have our comfort zone. <laughs> like this is mine. <laughs> um, you know, and not that I was doing anything risky. I actually, I would say that it's riskier to place gear on that route because it's so loose and chassis and then you're just spending more time in exposed zones with risk of rock fall. So I would, I would not recommend, you know, right. I would not recommend placing gear on it. Um, but once again, we all have a, we all have our spectrum of comfort. Um, but I've done Capitol peak a few times. Like I had hiked it twice and I ran it once before and I just love it. Like it's really straightforward in a strange way where it's like, runnable and then super not runnable and then runnable again. Right. And I love that challenge. Like the way I was thinking of it when approaching the FKT was like, try to freaking like PR my 10 K and then, uh, scramble for an hour and then like try to, you know, PR that trail 10 K again <laughs> on the way down. <laughs> um, and like, think of it like a biathlon, like when I'm scrambling, like the goal is to just like keep my heart rate low and like stick to the line and move efficiently and well, um, and not, you know, try to, force it. And I right. actually like really clicked into mentally this really cool space when I was doing the FKT where like, I mean, the first time I ever did Capitol Peak, I just like didn't even sleep the night before because I was just like so scared. Like it's, you know, it's, it's one of the more difficult and dangerous 14ers. And, you know, I think it just goes to show that like, if you do things a lot that you can get better at them, which is right. still a concept that blows my mind, but is like <laughs> infinitely comforting to me. Um, that like things that like four years ago, I lost sleep over. Now I'm like, I don't know, might as well go do capital today. The weather's pretty good. There's a window. Um, you know, and I think 
like I just love running 14ers I'm not like particular like I love I always wanted to be a mountain runner like being from not a mountain state right I always was like man you know it'd be cool running on mountains <laughs> um little did I know that it was more like you know what's cool power hiking up mountains <laughs> um but capital's great because there's minimal power hiking uh it's either running or like hands legit and feet. scrambling yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and you know, like a lot, you know, Anton put the original FKT up on Capitol and then it was broken by another really amazing local runner this summer. And I was just like, I really love this mountain. I feel very connected to it. It's the, it's the closest 14er to my house. Mm -hmm. um, it's like my neighbor 14er. Um, and I just feel really special that like, it's one of the cooler ones out there. Um, and I've always just like emotionally felt very close to it as a mountain. And I, you know, try to make a habit of running 14ers on my birthday. And it just kind of all fell into place that I was like, you know, I didn't have any races on the schedule at that point. And I was kind of like, you know, I should put some of this, like I had been training for Leadville and then Leadville got canceled right. and I had a pretty great base. And with just, you know, a couple Hill specific workouts on top of that, I was able to make something pretty cool happen. Yeah. So um, that's what I was going to ask was, was the idea of pursuing the FKT on your radar before kind of shit went down this summer or not really? It was in the back of my head. And this is yeah. like something I've been really grateful for in the past year is that I have projects that like things will pop into my head where I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool to set the FKT on this if I have time. And right. then just because like of how life is for me sometimes, like if I don't make time for like that time's just not going to happen. Right. Um, and I'm very bad at making time for like all the ideas I have. So I feel fortunate in that this summer for me provided an opportunity to focus on things that my brain thinks of rather than like races, which are kind of more uh, externally motivated. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel really yeah, I feel fortunate that like a lot of the things I was inspired by just happened to be in the back my backyard and like therefore very safely accessible under local COVID guidelines. And, um, you know, it was something that I had definitely thought about, but I hadn't put a lot of intention into until the space opened up for me to be serious about it and like be vulnerable about it and like tell my partner and tell my coach like, hey, I think I really want to go for this thing. Yeah. Because otherwise it I, it would have been something that just totally rattled around the back of my head and I had never like said out loud and wouldn't have held myself accountable to. Right, right. It's hard to kind of step outside that kind of hamster wheel of racing sometimes and, and pursue something else when, you know, it's it's just that it's kind of the way we, we get wired after a while. Now that, now yeah. that yeah. you've done this sort of thing, I mean... Presuming things hopefully go back to some degree of normalcy next year and we get a summer racing season, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're hoping to be in Leadville. I'm hoping to be in Leadville and elsewhere. FKT is something that you still think you'll pursue in the future or more of a traditional racing schedule? Yeah, I actually really like FKTs more than I thought I would because you just get to pick like racing. You're usually like which route is most appealing to me. Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like looking at like, okay, the terrain of this race is about like this and the distance like that feels like it's in my wheelhouse. But with an FKT, you can be like, I want to race 38 steep miles. Right. Like, you can just get so specific to be like, you know what? I love running for exactly seven hours <laughs> over exactly this terrain. Right. Um, and I love that. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so fun. And I also like, sometimes I kind of struggle with, I'm like working through some of the mental aspects of racing and competition. And I feel like FKTs open up a really interesting space for me to focus on like motivating myself and like working through low moments by myself and like all these things that'll like pay off in races down the road. But 
you know, in an FKT, like, especially if you're doing an unsupported effort, like if you have a low moment, it is up to you and no one else to pull yourself out yep. of it. And I think that's a really useful skill to cultivate. Yeah. Um, like it helps me work on some mental game in ways that I really like. And then, you know, another thing I struggle with, like, is comparison to other athletes. And when you're the only person out there running on a given day, mm -hmm. there's no one to, you have like someone else's time. Sure. But like, when it's just you, it's kind of like, I like that headspace. Yeah. I like just being like, I'm going to let it rip. And it doesn't matter what anyone else has ever done because they're not here. And like, I don't know, like worst case scenario, I'll have just run something fast. Um, and that's still cool. And best case scenario, it'll be the fastest ever, which is even cooler. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Nolan's in the future for you? Oh, man, that's something like <laughs> I remember when I first moved to Colorado, one of my training partners was like, we should do Nolan's. And I was like, yeah, let's totally like I had no idea what it was. So I agreed immediately. <laughs> I was like, it's probably like some 14 mile trail sure. around Turquoise Lake or something. And then I looked it up and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is an insane thing. Um, and like now I like actually know people that have done it. And like I spend a lot of time in the collegiate peaks because I love running around Leadville. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing about training for the 100 is that it's it's fairly flat, so it rewards a very different style of training than Nolan's training. Sure. But like, I mean, I think I would I would be lying if I said I'm not very curious about Nolan's. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's got a lot of the kind of aspects of it that you had mentioned, like getting to choose. There's a lot of choose your own adventure aspect to Nolan's too, right? Totally. Um, and, and it rewards expertise in a way that that's I'm really what I was going to say. About, yeah. That I don't have, which is like it's not just about fitness. It's about smartness yes. and like stick-to-itiveness and a lot of things that I'm really curious about because I don't feel that they're necessarily strong suits now. And they're things that I'm like, those are things I want to develop. And that would be a really great context to potentially develop them during. And it's just such a cool, it's just a freaking cool line and it's getting cooler all the time. And just seeing so many amazing women go after it is like crazy inspiring to me. And I love 14ers and I'm always curious about non-traditional ways to do 14ers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not great sleep deprived, but you know, man, if you need someone that can eat a PB and J at 10,000 feet, like I'm your girl. <laughs> so I don't know. That's like, it's definitely on my like lifetime athletic goal yeah. list. Yeah. Cause it's just, I mean, even if you have, even if your goal is to just finish, like that's a heck of a thing to just finish. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. Right. Even right. Even if you're not going to, you know, challenge some of those times that um, Sabrina and Megan were putting up earlier this summer. But right. Just just getting through that route uh, under the time limit would be amazing. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's just like, man, that terrain is I just love those peaks. Like I love Albert. I love Matt. Like I just love all those are like my favorite 14ers, yeah. you know, and like I've done them. I've tried to do most of them. I've never like schwacked any of them, but like I've tried to do some of the less crowded routes on a lot of them, particularly during COVID when there's a lot more people out there, which is sure. amazing and I love and appreciate, but I'm trying to like tread lightly and be kind to my one and only planet Earth. <laughs> and that just gives you like all these amazing new ways to explore cool peaks. Right. I just I never get tired of the collegiates. They're they're just cool. They're it's not awesome. like they're they have their their very own flavor. Like I live in the Elk Mountains, which are like very weird, chossy, kind of scary peaks. And the collegiates just feel like more predictable in a way. Okay. But they're still mountains, so they like command respect in that regard. Yeah. But they're not like I mean, like out here, like the maroon bells will just fall apart if you look at them. So <laughs> uh, that's great. 
Um, you had a recent return to racing. You you uh, were able to come back in, was it September or October for the Grand Traverse? Mm-hmm, September. Yeah. How was that coming back to the racing scene after kind of the summer that everybody had? Did it feel weird at all? Man, what, you know, with that was the, like the, the precautions the weirdest or... race I have ever done. How so? Um, the night before, the, the race organization posted an Instagram photo of like all the professional and elite women that were racing. And I was just like, oh, snap. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. That, that's something like, that we've seen a, a lot this fall cool. is because, you know, everyone had all this fitness and, you know, there were like five choices of where to go. So it was like all of a sudden you, you saw these fields at races that you wouldn't normally expect to have, you know, five or ten awesome runners. All of a sudden we're just like, oh, shit, somebody like, you know, <laughs> there's like eight people that like, you know, I am tough that that could win that thing. And you're just like, wow, that's different <laughs> yeah and like i signed up for it because i was like i love a good backyard race you know and i consider crested butte i mean as the crow flies it is very much my backyard right. in the car less so um but like i had always wanted to do that race particularly when i lived in aspen and like my partner does it every year and just has a blast and i was like i'll hop in you know like i had just come off an injury and then done the fkt and i was like well i would love to run an ultra in the year 2020 <laughs> like that would <laughs> right. just make me happy and so I like didn't have a lot of specific training and was kind of going in like I just love this distance and I love those trails. It was on it was basically the backwards portion of the Crested Butte 100k that I had won the year before and really loved, but it cut out some like bullshit out and backs that I didn't totally love. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that I enjoyed the first 40 miles of the 100k uh, more than the last 25. Okay, and was like yeah, 40 miles is like. I love it. Love that distance. Love those trails. Jumped in, had no idea what I was getting myself into. And then they like rolled out this Instagram post that was like, look at all these like Olympic trials, marathoners and like hard rock winners that you're racing against. And I was like, oh my God, this is the worst <laughs> imposter syndrome I've had in my entire life ever. I don't even know if I can race. And I was just a nervous wreck. And like, I was seated in like a very non-aggressive wave. I was in like the sixth wave of runners. Cause like they ask you to seed yourself. And I was kind of like, yeah, I feel like I'm a sixth wave runner and so like from the get-go i was like starting you know minutes back from these other women and right. that was really daunting to me but i was like you know i really like these are the kind of women i want to race with like some of them are my swap teammates and i want to get to know them as people and competitors and like that was really exciting to me and so it just took me a while to step out of my own head and to be like this is an amazing opportunity for you to like um befriend some really cool people. Right. Uh, you just have to go catch them. <laughs> <is> the <trick. laughs> um, and you did. Yeah. And I used that as my motivation. I was like, I really want to like run with these ladies. Like I want to hang with them. Um, I will force them to be friends with me <laughs> uh, on the, on the race course. Um, and you know, it, it did take me a while to like mentally shake some of that stuff. And I, you know, started really conservatively cause I like hadn't raced all year and was like, Oh, I'm just here to have fun and eat snacks. And then, <laughs> At the last aid station, I was like getting a refill on Coke and I was, you know, I was kind of like, you know, checking in and they were like, oh, you're in second. And I, I fully thought like, maybe I'll get top 10. Right. So, and at mile, you know, 38, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're in second well, place. St starting like, in the sixth wave, you would, have, you would have no way of knowing who was I would have had no way of right. knowing. Cause like, I knew I was passing some women, but like still, even then I was like doing the mental math of like, well, 
you know, they're ahead of like, so I, I don't know. I'm right. not, not, I'm not great at math. I have a poetry degree. It's like way too much <laughs> for my like endurance tired brain to handle. Right. And, you know, I knew I was passing people, but I didn't, I wasn't like counting cards. I had no idea how many people were in front of me or behind me. I was just running my race. And then at the last aid station, they're like, you're in second. And that kind of lit a fire under me to be like, oh my gosh, like I, probably would have approached this event differently had I known, like, cause honestly, I would have just been like top 10 is a great result. Yeah. You know? Um, any day that I'm able to finish intact and have fun, that's like the primary sure. objective, but I, you know, I'm a competitive person and that, you know, really, uh, kind of inspired me to bring it home a little bit stronger than I had maybe started. Um, cause I'd started just, you know, super conservatively and was like having come off of an injury. I think there was always part of me that's like, how's that doing? Like, is, that's not flaring up, is it? Um, and then I just kind of kicked it to the finish. And that was, and I came in second behind Nicole Miracle, who's one of our swap teammates. Sure. She just had like, was crushing like all day. Um, I ran with her for a little bit and she was like fully like, man, there's just nothing like seeing someone in the zone. It's so exciting. Yeah. amazing. And it's always, you know, running with your teammates is just the best. Oh, right? it's awesome. Like, that's one of the best things about being on a team is you're just like, you get to be surrounded by the best humans who are going to push you to be a better human and runner. And then you just get to be friends with them at the finish line. It's so, it's so awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you didn't quite have that uh, high school cross country experience that a lot of us grew up on, but that's, that was, you know, a formative experience for a lot of us is like, yeah, yeah packing up and running with a teammate, racing with a teammate and being able to push each other. And it is, it is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's something I missed out as a younger person, but I feel very lucky to have now as an adult. Cause I feel like not only does that inform my approach to athleticism, but like as a journalist and like podcaster, like I want to be around people who are going to be like, Hey, I have feedback for you. Um, and it may not all be positive, um, <laughs> but people that are going to like push me to be a better creator, a better coach, a better human, like better partner, like whatever it is. Like you just always want to surround yourself by people who are, um, also trying to do that thing at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, we have to play the closing game that I play with all my guests. It's called Desert, desert Island Picks. Um, <laughs> we're going to send you to a desert island for one year. You are allowed to bring one book, one album, one food, and one beer. Now, you're, you might be young enough that you don't even know the concept of albums. See, albums <laughs> were when, uh, when a, an artist... Player. <laughs> Right, we're on. Okay, Zoom, good. So he can see. <laughs> there you go. Good. All right. So you actually collection. have a record collection. So you know what an album yeah. is. That's good because some people, you know, you have, it's it's a little different from a Spotify playlist. But um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So one book, one album, one food, and one beer. What are you bringing to a desert island hmm. for a year? My book would be um, "The Elegance of the Hedgehog" by Muriel Barbary. It is okay. a French novel about learning to have empathy for people. Um, uh, it's really amazing, and everyone should read it. That it, sounds like, awesome. It totally, it's like not a super popular novel in the US. I studied French literature um, and it like totally blew my mind. I originally, I read it in French and then I bought it in like every other language. So I was just like, <laughs> I want to like, I, I also, I, I went to high school in Italy for a little bit. So I'm fluent in Italian. And I was like, I'm going to read this book in every language I can because it's so amazing. And I want to have an excuse to read it over and over again. I'm putting that on um, my list. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. One uh, album. French. L'Elegance de Harrison. Oh, um, lovely. My favorite Wait, wait, wait. Album. Now you have to say it in Italian. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't remember. Uh, it's L'Elegance de... I can't remember. I want to say... I can't remember how to say hedgehog. Because there aren't a lot of hedgehogs in Italy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, fair enough. It is like a really funny... It's like a... Yeah. I'll have to... I'll get back to you on <laughs> Italian for hedgehog. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, fi my Desert Island album would be... 
right now it would be songs by Adrian Linker. It's an album. She's the uh, lead singer of the band Big Thief, and it's just a beautiful acoustic album that I've been uh, really trying to hit hard in the past few days to uh, quell any um, existential dread via electoral yes. knowledge. No, no, mischief. Um, no lack of supply. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, my desert island food. I remember once reading a novel or a, a, a book where they like actually tried to break down the best foods to have on a desert island. And they were like, if you ever actually get stranded on a desert island, you should eat hot dogs and Nutella. And that stuck with me forever. I don't okay. actually eat hot dogs. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian, but so um, veggie dogs and Nutella. But apparently you could survive like forever on veggie dogs and Nutella. So okay. not that that would be like great, but you know, if all I have to do is like read French literature and listen <laughs> to music, then, then I want to, you know, yeah, pretty good. Got to survive, right? <laughs> um, One beer. And then my desert island beer would be, uh, so there's a smaller brewery in Frisco, Colorado called uh, Outer Range Brewing. Okay. And they do a lot of really, you can like only get their beers like at the actual brew pub. And Love then like it. a few restaurants in the high mountains. Perfect. And it's like kind yep. of small. Love those nano breweries. It's fantastic. Get, yep. And they're always expensive. You can only get them in four packs. Um, but they have a hazy IPA called the Meadow something that is just like amazing. It's like when you pour it in a glass, it's just that like really opaque orange that I'm nice. just like, oh yeah. Like That's so good. juicy. It yeah. looks almost like Sunny D, um, <laughs> which is just like my ideal beer. It kind of like, you know, I can already taste that it's going to like give me a headache in the morning because it's not, <laughs> it's not like an entry level beer necessarily, but. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, man, I, lo I love a hazy fruity island, IPA. I'm going to be drinking seven percent. Oh yeah, IPA. sure. Just jam it. All day long. No, just got to wait, wait for your, wait for your rescue. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe, thanks so. you me off the island like, whoa. <laughs> Thanks so much you for coming on. It. This was super fun. Yeah. Thanks so much. It was so great to chat. Uh, what do you got coming up? Anything coming soon? Man, I'm just like stoked to train. I feel like I'm kind of starting like to have the a same, few... I'm in the same yeah. zone. Like I got a, a couple of buddies who are like trying to find races. I'm like, I'm just having a good time training right now. I don't, Dude, I don't feel the need I to do anything. It's so good like, right now. Racing feels good, but almost nothing feels as good as like getting a little bit better every single day. Yeah. Um, and that's where I find a lot of my joy. That's awesome. Good. Well, here's to feeling better, hopefully in both uh, the existential and physical <laughs> realms in the next few days. And yep. uh, fingers crossed. if I don't see you before next August, hopefully I see you in Leadville. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'll be there no matter what. Awesome. Running, crewing. Awesome. Sounds great. Running around. I'll be there. Thanks so much. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks to everyone for listening. And until next time in Pain Cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusted like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago, as a child, I look about the night sky in wild wonderment. And ride the bus and feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there. I was still young. I was still young. 
I was still 